Okay, grab your Bibles and let's let's read a story. It's a long story. I'm um, I, I, I want to say I'm sorry, but I'm really not sorry. It's it's a story. It's a whole lot easier than reading thirty verses of um, of Pauline theology. So this is a story in Daniel chapter five. We're going to read the whole thing because you got to get the whole thing to um, understand it. You know, when I was a kid. We went to the movies from time to time, and we would see things like Charlton Heston in the Ten Commandments. And, um, you know, I remember seeing this scene, Daniel chapter 5, in a movie. But, you know, I'm 60. And, and uh, people go to the, I don't know that they have these movies anymore. <clears throat> and it, and it, it's remarkable to me. I had somebody come up to me last week and say, I had never heard that story of Nebuchadnezzar. Well, maybe you've never heard this one. So if you haven't, stay tuned. Stay with me as, as I read Daniel chapter 5. Uh, together. Here we go. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of the gold, of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His his limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me in its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, and his color changed, and his lords were perplexed. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom the spirit of the holy gods, in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers, because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret names, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king, my father, brought from Judah? I have heard of you, that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that the light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation. But they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give the interpretations and solve problems. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations and language trembled and feared before him whom he would, 
trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed, and whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up, and whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up, and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from the kingly throne, and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind, and his mind was made like that of a beast. And his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. And the vessels of his house have been brought in before you. And you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold and of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know. But the God in whose hand is your breath and whose all, whose, who, and whose are all your ways, you have not honored. Then from his presence, the king was sent and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Many, many, tekel, and parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Many, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck and a proclamation was made about him. That he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night... Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God, that endures forever. Guys, before we get to the story itself, I wanted to show you something in the text that I hope will excite you. Um, um, just consider it a, an appetizer, a, a preliminary to the text. Uh, this is for all my history buffs out there, and, and I think it also is a piece of evidence for the inerrancy of this book. I don't know whether you noticed it, but uh, in the course of reading this story, it was mentioned three times in verse 17 and verse 9 and verse 29, I think, um, that, Dan- that Daniel is offered the third ruler. Belshazzar says, if you do this, I'll make you the third ruler. Now, what is all that about? Because really, you know, um, when Joseph, back in Genesis, interpreted a dream for Pharaoh, he was offered the number two spot. Why is he offered the third spot? Well, guys, um, that used to be a point of great contention. I mean, the critics used to point to that and just make hay. They used to use that as a, as an evidence that um, uh, that the Bible was full of error. And uh, they would they they said that uh, Belshazzar was a figment of Daniel's imagination. He never existed, and therefore you can't trust this book. That was until 1856, and a guy by the name of J. G. Taylor was doing some excavations in southern Iraq. And he found about, he found some cylinders that contained about 60 lines of cuneiform writing that were written by Nabonidus. Now historians know that Nabonidus was the king of Babylon from 555 BC to 539 BC. And on these cylinders in this cuneiform writing was, was a statement uh, celebrating the completion of a building project in Ur, where Abraham came from. And these lines contain this, it says, long life to Nabonidus. And then in there was this statement, and to his eldest son, Belshazzar. 
Now, here's the deal. Nabonidus was king of Babylon. He had taken his armies and he had gone out to fight this Darius guy. They had lost. And he had escaped with his army to a little city by the name of Morsippa, where the armies of uh, Darius had encircled him and bottled him up in that city. While he was out fighting Darius, he left the, the, uh, the kingdom in the hands of his son, Belshazzar. By the name, Nebuchadnezzar was his grandfather. Belshazzar was the acting king. And so, when it got time to make an offer of a kingdom, he could only offer number three. Isn't that neat? <laughs> the accuracy of this book. Anyway, the events that you see recorded here in Daniel chapter 5 take place on the night that Darius the Mede and the Median and the Persian army overran Babylon and Belshazzar is executed. It is an event that had been predicted 75 years before it occurred by the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 51. If you'd like to take a look at it this afternoon, in Jeremiah 51... Uh, Jeremiah already predicts this is going to happen 75 years before it does. In fact, Jeremiah even mentions a body of water that's going to be involved. And if, in case you don't know this, um, Darius's strategy uh, involved the, um, the Euphrates River. I'll tell you about that more, a little bit more about that later. But uh, so what happens that night is no surprise to Daniel because Daniel is a student. He is a student of Jeremiah. And so everything that's happening is simply verifying what he had read in the prophet Jeremiah. He's, uh, he's not surprised at all that Babylon is about to be overrun. Now, guys, let's get to the story. Uh, appetizer's over. Um, when I read the story, what impacted you? What stood out? What, uh, what impression did it make? Uh, anything, anything just stand out to you? Was it uh, that that spooky hand? Did y'all ever see that movie about the hand? Um, the hand writing on the wall. Have you ever heard that phrase? That's the handwriting on the wall. Well, that came from Daniel five. Well, um, was it that, or was it the was it the drunken brawl that impressed you? Was that the thing that that stirred you? Well, let me tell you what got me. I was impacted by. By the display of sin that you see in Daniel chapter 5. It's just man being at his worst. So that's what I'm going to talk to you about this morning. I want to talk to you about sin. Oh, Dr. Young, I don't want to talk about sin. I understand. But I, I think it, it'll, it's more beneficial than you may ever dream. And, and to illustrate that, let me tell you a story that I heard another guy tell, and I thought it was might be applicable for us this morning. Let's imagine that I came to you and I said, <laughs> I have got some great news for you. Your ears kind of perk up, and I say, uh, somebody you don't even know has paid your $25,000 speeding ticket for you. And you look at me and you say, with this, this stunned look in your face and you say, what on earth are you talking about? 
that's just nonsense. I, I don't even have a $25,000 speeding ticket. So what I said was going to be good news for you really wasn't good news at all. In fact, you were, you were downright offended because what I've suggested is that you have broken the law and that in a very egregious manner. Let's imagine that I come back to you and do it differently. And I say to you this. I say, um, this morning, on your way over here, you were videoed and you were clocked doing 65 miles an hour in a zone that had been set aside for a blind children's convention. There were 10 independent warning signs prior to the zone stating that the maximum allowable speed was 15 miles per hour. And you ignored all those signs and you drove right through the thing going 65 miles an hour. And the penalty for your so doing was a $25,000 fine. And as the law was about to take its course, someone that you don't even know stepped forward and paid your fine for you. You are one fortunate fellow. Now that is some good news. What's the difference? The difference is you know what bad thing you did. And so the good news really becomes good news. Gang, until you know your disease, discussions about a cure are not going to interest you. But if you know you got the disease, then somebody telling you that there's a cure, I mean, that's really good news. If you try to save somebody, a drowning man who doesn't know that he's drowning, he's not going to be any very happy with you. But if he realizes he's drowning, He will long to hear what you have to say. Gang, what I'm saying is, when it comes to sin, the message of the gospel is, is very, very unappealing to us until we know that the problem is sin. And once you understand that, then the good news becomes great news. Okay? So let's look at the, 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 the story under three headings. Um, first of all, concerning sin, sin is not static. Number two, uh, sin renders you impervious to danger. And number three, when it comes to sin, God is not static. Okay, first point, sin is not static. Sin uh, if not arrested by grace, advances. It doesn't stand still. It proceeds. It worsens. It gets uh, a little bit of an addiction becomes a full-blown addiction. A little bit of pornography becomes a lot of pornography. Sin, unless arrested 
by grace moves on. And by that moving on, I mean it gets worse. Now, where in the text is that? Well, guys, take a look with me uh, at verse 2 of our text. And I want to compare it with another verse 2 in chapter 1. But look at verse 2. Uh, Belshazzar, when he had tasted wine, commanded the vessels of gold and silver that Nebuchadnezzar his father had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought into the king and his lords and his wives drink from them. Look at that and compare that with chapter 1, verse 2. And he, that is, uh, and, and, and the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, Nebuchadnezzar's hands, with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Okay, did you get that? When Nebuchadnezzar took his army down to Jerusalem and, and sacked Jerusalem, one of the things that he captured was a bunch of vessels that he found in the, uh, the palace to Yahweh. They were gold and silver goblets, so they were drinking vessels, uh, sacred vessels, but they were they were designed uh, to be used in the worship of Yahweh in Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar captured those things, brought them back to Babylon with him, and put them in his temple to his gods. But at least he treated them with dignity and respect. Then we come to chapter 5, and Belshazzar orders that those same vessels be brought out And notice how he uses them. He uses them in a drunken brawl. And by all measures, this was some kind of party. Uh, 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 One of the commentaries that I read said that the banquet hall for this party was some 1,650 feet wide and a mile long. And that the wine was delivered to the tables on carts that were pulled by trained peacocks. Now, I don't know how he found that out, but it's interesting to think about, it, don't you think? And, but um, the real coup de grace of the whole night was when Belshazzar says, Hey, hey, y'all go get the vessels and bring them out here. Bring out the vessels, uh, you know, that my grandfather Nebuchadnezzar took away from Yahweh. And let's use them in our big party here. Now guys, look at the text and, and notice notice how they're used. Uh, verse 4. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. It couldn't get any worse. And very frankly, I don't know whether you remember it, but over here in um, um, verse oh, 23... Daniel is very upset about this. Gang, I mean, look at what they're doing. Not only is there a drunken brawl going on, but there's sacrilege, there's idolatry, and you can only imagine what other things might have been included in this, in this event. But, but, but Belshazzar has no interest in Yahweh. Why, he's got a banquet hall full of gods. I mean, the lines are, the, the walls are lined with gods all up and down the banquet hall. And so he takes those things that at least his grandfather had treated with some degree of respect. And he treats them with utter contempt. Here's my only point, guys. Sin doesn't remain static. 
if it doesn't get arrested by grace, it gets worse. You're on a path now that is just itsy-bitsy sin. Well, let me just tell you, it won't stay like that. It marches on. It advances. It progresses. Because sin's not static. Now, secondly, before we look at what God does about all this, I want you to see what um, <laughs> what sin will do to you because it will, it, rend, it, it will render you impervious to danger. In the, in the story, um, Darius the Mede was outside the city walls and Belshazzar is doing the gator on the dance floor. Um, at the moment of his greatest danger... Belshazzar is drugging himself. He only had a few hours left to live. And to make it all worse, Daniel makes a statement in verse 22 that is really kind of the, the high point of the text. When he says, "You and though you knew all this, that is, you knew what happened to your grandfather. You knew the story of what that, uh, how God dealt with him. And you knew all of that. And so that means that, Belshazzar, your sin is a deliberate choice. It is, um, it is sinning in the face of information and experience. Gang, it tells you something about what sin will do to the human heart. It tells you that, that sin will make your heart really hard to the point that you will be absolutely impervious to your own danger and to your own condition. An interesting thing for me in verses 10 through 12, it says that Belshazzar changed colors. I mean, he turned white. His knees are knocking. And his wife comes in and says, oh, honey, don't be upset. You got a guy in your kingdom by the name of Daniel. And man, he can interpret anything. Now, my point is, how could he ever have forgotten that? How did Daniel get lost in the kingdom shuffle? He says, oh, oh, yeah, I should have had a V8. I remember now. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd forgotten all about anything righteous. Daniel, Daniel, yeah, yeah, that Daniel guy. Now I remember. There he goes, drinking and dancing on the verge of doom. Guys, um, don't turn here. Let me just read it for you. I can find my glasses. Um, this is a statement that is made by um, Malachi. Uh, just listen to this. Um, there it is. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me. Here's my point. Do you hear all those things mentioned? Sorcery and adultery and uh, indifference to the poor. And then it says, because they do not fear me. If you'd like to have a snapshot of what it looks like when you don't fear God, try Daniel 5. If you want to know what not fearing God looks like, just read chapter 5. 
Because that's not, that's a group of people who because of their sin, their hearts have become hard and they're completely out of touch with their own sense of, their own condition. They're in danger and they don't know it. Because sin just makes you forget that righteousness even exists. Hmm. And then, uh, thirdly, when it comes to sin, God is not static either. In the midst of all this brawl, out of the dark corners of the night appears this mysterious moving hand writing something on the wall. You know, guys, there there uh, are at times, um, there, there seem to be times when sin is, is running its course and God doesn't seem to do anything. At least he doesn't do anything spectacularly. But then there are other times that a line is crossed, and only God knows where the line is, but the line is crossed and God steps forward and says, that's it. That's enough. And, and when he does, men's knees finally begin to knock. But by then it's, it's too late and they're, they're stunned into some petrified silence. And the music is, is silenced and the party's over. Four words from God. That's all it took. Four words. And all this proud, haughty behavior comes to a screeching halt. They are now sober. The statues of the gods that line the walls, they don't hear anything, they don't see anything, they don't do anything, because they're not anything. But this God has stepped forward to denounce sin. You know, guys, we could spend some time uh, talking about those four words. There's been a lot written, a lot of suggestions made as to what they mean. But basically, the gist is right in the text. And you can't miss the essential message. It's right there for you. The God of Israel had written bankrupt over all of Babylon and Belshazzar. In the shortest prophecy in the entire Bible, four words, 12 Hebrew consonants. Daniel is an old man by this time, and there he stands watching vessels that were supposed to be used for the worship of Yahweh, and his little soul is ablaze to see those vessels in the hands of drunken women who were sprawled on the floor, lying in the debris of the party. He turns to the king and he says, Verse 17, he says, keep your gifts. (laughs) You don't talk to a king like that. Unless you are overtaken with the holiness of God. And Belshazzar's not going to be king but another couple hours anyway. What what Belshazzar doesn't know is that while he's partying, The engineers of the Persian army have diverted the Euphrates and the enemy 
is walking into the city on the riverbed. He didn't know that. But he did know that God hates pride in people. Saw it in his grandfather. Heard it, knew it, experienced it. And in the face of all that, we are told, you knew. But you chose to defy this God anyway. In those last two verses, verses 30 and 31, they're, they're more than just a date marker. Because what they do is verify the prophecies of Isaiah and Jeremiah. Uh, all that Jeremiah and Isaiah had said and predicted are fulfilled in a catastrophic, calamitous piece of judgment upon Babylon. And then the Bible picks up this destruction in Babylon and uses it as a portrait of the overturn of wickedness. Uses it in the book of Revelation, chapter 18, when the book, when the book of Revelation says, fallen, fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. Gang, what you're getting here is just a type of how God will deal with with men who knew and in the face of information and experience and stories chose willfully to defy this God. Guys, let me make something very clear and then we're done. I said that when it comes to sin, God is not static. He moves, and he does. But he moves in a couple of ways. He moves against sin on two fronts. First of all, he moves against sin to condemn it. But secondly, he also moves against sin to provide deliverance from it. Folks, listen to me. Men and women are not lost because they are great sinners. They are lost because they remain defiant and stubborn and willful in the face of an offer of forgiveness. No man is condemned for any bad thing that he's done. He's condemned because he knows that it's bad and refuses to leave it when he's offered forgiveness for it. Great sin never kept anybody out of heaven because there's a great Savior. Folks, men don't get into heaven because they do good deeds. And they don't get condemned because they did bad deeds. They are lost because they heard of an offer that God has made to sinful men and women. And they turn up their nose at it willfully, defiantly. And nobody is as guilty. 
as those who knowingly, deliberately, willfully, hostily cling to their sin and their evil in the face of knowing that there is an there is a way to have sin forgiven. Guys, I'm here this morning to simply tell you I've got great news for you. Someone that you don't even know stepped in and paid your fine. Could I tell you about him? His name is Jesus Christ. And the only unpardonable sin is saying, I don't need him, and I don't want him. Ladies and gentlemen, you have a disease. But there is a cure. And I, for one, call that great news. Our Father, I do pray that you'll remind people that there is no sin so great that our great Savior has not paid for. And I pray, Lord, that you will use this story to remind us of what sin does to us and what you have done in reply, in response, that you have moved to make provision for it in Christ. And then apart from that, you have moved to judge it. Thank you, O God that you have provided someone in all of his beauty to live the life that I should have lived and then who died the death that I should have died so that there is no fine hanging over me. It's been paid in full by this beautiful Savior of ours. We love you, Lord Jesus. We are sorry we love you so little. And one of the reasons that our love is little is because we have not yet fully realized the magnitude of what you have done for people like us. Teach us that, Father, so that we might glory in the gospel even more. We pray, of course, in Jesus' name.